This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. And tonight we are recapping week six of the NFL Slate 2021. But first, a few housekeeping notes. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please send us a note there. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020, and you can now find every episode of the show on dynasty-download.captivate.fm. Finally, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. All right, let's get right into the review of this weekend's games. We are recording this on Tuesday night instead of our regular Monday night uh, due to some unforeseen personal circumstances. But what is your biggest impression from the week six slate that we had? I just think moving into week seven, just a lot of injuries, bi-week and injuries. I think it's going to be a lot of interesting. It'll be interesting how people play the waiver wire to try to cover up those um, those patches that they need done. I would definitely agree with you, especially in the running back class. You've had a ton of injuries. And if there were ever a year to handcuff your running back, I think this is the year that would teach guys. Particularly, you always tease me as being the handcuff guy, but in my redraft league, I dropped Chuba Hubbard, even though I had Christian McCaffrey, and it has now cost me dearly. That is not a good situation. Thankfully, I have Darrell Henderson and uh, Cordero Patterson on that team, but Yeah, it's been a a tough slide trying to navigate my way through that league so far. That being said, I think one of the biggest takeaways I had were just some of the surprising results we had. I think we got a lot of the ones we expected, but given the way I thought certain games were going to go, uh, Monday Night Football, the Bills, I thought they'd be taking it to the Titans and that game would be done by halftime somehow the Titans keep close and just keep it close enough that they made enough plays down the stretch to somehow pull that game out. The Browns getting dismantled by Arizona at home. I think realistically, I I haven't completely bought into Arizona yet, but at this point I kind of am forced to. Uh, And then the Chargers going across country to the Baltimore Ravens. And realistically, we don't know which Chargers team and which Ravens teams show up on a given week but I think you have to take Baltimore a little bit more seriously and the chargers we've already taken seriously so far, but it kind of knocks them down maybe a half step from where we thought they might be. I still think they're a contender, but maybe Baltimore starting to really round into form. And given all of their injuries, we thought that for sure that they were going to be affected more than most. And it doesn't seem to be bothering them too much, save for that one lions game. That being said, Cincinnati going all over the lions in Detroit. And again, the Lions have either been tough against a team or they just get completely shelled. You don't know which Lions team is going to show up on a week to week basis. This is an absolute grind and the results are going to be constantly surprising to us. I guess it's just that saying again, any given Sunday. I mean, everyone says it. it's really hard to win games in the NFL. So, I mean, you got to bring it every single week. And to your point about the Chargers, yeah, did we give the Chargers too much respect? So I guess we're going to see what to, how they respond, but that's that's an interesting one. And for me, I, I guess I didn't realize I was such an Arizona um, Cardinals fan, but you know, over the course of the last couple of weeks, I, I feel like I've been picking them a lot. So 
I don't know. I guess I'm on that bandwagon. You should come join me. It's kind of fun. Uh, I can for maybe this week, but next week, Thursday, I definitely am not going to be on that bandwagon. And I don't think you will be either. <laughs> Probably not. No, no, no. That, that's a big date with the Green Bay Packers uh, on Thursday night football. So anyway, I would just say that with the marathon that the NFL schedule is going to be with 17 weeks and some of these later bye weeks, international travel, and all the things that are going on, you're just going to need to take it on a week by week basis. And realistically don't read too much into any one week because it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint more so now than ever before. All right. With that, let's kind of get into the news. Most of it's on the injury front, but as you mentioned already, we're now into the second week of bye weeks. If you have players from the following teams, they are on a bye this week, the Steelers. So Najee Harris, I guess not Juju Smith-Schuster, but Pat Fryermuth, Eric Ebron, if you're starting him for whatever reason, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, all out. The Buffalo Bills, Emmanuel Sanders, Dawson Knox, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen. I think I missed one. Oh, Cole Beasley, all out this week. The Cowboys, Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Dalton Schultz, Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, all out this week. Uh, the Chargers, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Donald Parham, Jared Cook, all out this week. The Jaguars, James Robinson, Marvin Jones Jr., Lavishka Chenault, Jamal Agnew, Trevor Lawrence, all out this week. I'm trying to remember. I, oh, the Minnesota Vikings, Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, Tyler Conklin. Adam Thielen, all out this week. So it, it really is, and I'll borrow a phrase from a sister show, but the ESPN Fantasy Show has uh, nicknamed this by Mageddon. I would assume since all three of your starting running backs are out this week on bye, you would agree? Yeah, um, as of right now, um, I'm plugging and playing, and I, I, I don't have someone to fill my last running back spot, so... We may be starting nobody, but I play you this week and you're running into the same problem, if I'm not mistaken. So I have three receivers on by, two running backs on IR, a tight end on IR, and a, a myriad of injuries and buys all over the place. I think you could not start two players this week and still be projected to beat me by 20. Yeah, well, uh, as projections go for this last week for me, I had my first loss, and I'm pretty sure I was projected to win by 40, so bring the pro- projections. Yeah, Dana was pretty happy about that one. Dana can kiss my ass. <laughs> I, I don't know if he'd go quite that far. So anyway, let's move forward. Uh, the injury review continues as we had three different running backs all go on the IR this week. Chris Carson, who we thought might be back sooner than later, goes on the IR. He'll be out at least three games. Christian McCaffrey, who we surprisingly thought may even play this week. We had some positive signs last week. All of a sudden on Saturday, got placed on the IR. He'll be out for an additional three weeks. That was already in addition to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and David Montgomery in recent weeks being placed on IR. And then finally, during the game and then got placed today on IR, Kareem Hunt also went on IR today. We also got news that Nick Chubb was declared out for last weekend's game after we had done our Thursday show. And for that matter, he will be out this Thursday against the Denver Broncos. 
That'll be coming up later in the show. On other injury news fronts, Michael Thomas and Jerry Judy are supposedly going to be on their way back from IR in the next few weeks, or in Michael Thomas's case, the pup list. But we don't know exactly when. These will be stories to continue to monitor as we go forward. And then our last bit of news, Zach Ertz was traded after Thursday night football to the Arizona Cardinals to replace Max Williams, who's going to be out for the season. Out of all of these, I guess, what would you say is the biggest storyline to, I guess, track out of all of this news? The Cleveland Browns don't really have a running back at this point in time. You know, I know we're going to be talking about who you should be picking up in the waiver wire and whatnot, but that's that's pretty tough news for the Browns moving forward. To be fair, they've had problems with injuries along their offensive line and what was it? Baker Mayfield or uh, dislocated his shoulder again on Sunday. This is the second time already this season. Oh, damn. Really? I guess I missed that. Yeah. He landed. He had a sprained like AC joint or something like that. It's apparently incredibly painful and he could basically dislocate it on any weird fall, but he right now at least does not require surgery. So he's somehow toughing it out, but he just looks bad and overthrows constantly. I don't know what's going on with this Browns team, why they've suddenly gotten such bad luck, but for whatever reason, they've all of a sudden gotten snake bit in the last few weeks. I would say that uh, additionally, you know, as far as the running back case, Seattle kind of with Russell Wilson also being out and uh, they had a close loss in Pittsburgh and the fact that Christian McCaffrey apparently has made Sam Darnold a worse quarterback. Those seem just as big to me. I think the running back issues more than anything else is probably the biggest storyline out of any of these. For sure. I I can agree with that 100%. Like Seattle's luck literally just changed on the flip of a switch. Um, Even though Geno Smith is experienced, he's not Russell Wilson, you know, and Chris Carson, he's he's been very very consistent. That is something that he is. You know, he's not going to wow you or anything, but you can you you kind of know what you're going to get from him. So that's pretty frustrating for Seattle. So other big storylines or surprises for me this weekend: Leonard Fournette is he now like a consistent RB two? I think he owns that job now in the Tampa Bay backfield. I don't think Ronald Jones is anything that you should worry about. But we also know how much Tom Brady likes his running backs, too. So I think, yeah, I think Leonard Fournette could be a consistent running back, too. Well, he scored two touchdowns the other night against a, I think, actually decent Eagles run defense. And he was clearly the featured guy. At this point, I don't know what's going on with Ronald Jones other than the fumbling and that he was hurt during the playoffs. But we're starting to see the Leonard Fournette we thought we were going to get with the number four overall pick when he went to the Jaguars a couple of years ago. And he's in a productive offense. At this point, I would say he's a locked-in starter and probably should be at worst an RB2 in this offense right now going forward. Other ones that uh, from that particular game, Antonio Brown, nine catches, 93 yards, a touchdown on 13 targets to lead Tampa Bay against the Eagles in that game. Every time he's on the field, he seems to be one of the most targeted Buccaneers week in, week out. Yeah, absolutely. But I just think the production is so up and down. Like, I think he's been the number one receiver for them only twice so far this year. I know I have him on my team. I always think about starting him, but I don't think he's there yet where you can just lock him in and be okay. Because I have Chris Godwin too, and I always start Godwin over 
Antonio Brown. Maybe a couple more weeks, I could feel a little more confident, but it's still just not there for me, for me personally at that time, at this time. So Antonio Brown did miss two games due to being on the COVID list. And I, we don't know if you contracted it or what exactly happened with all of that, but I would rank the wide receivers right now for Tampa Bay thusly. Mike Evans, number one, because he has the biggest boomer bust and has more touchdown production just on a regular basis than the other two. Antonio Brown, two, and I would say Godwin's number three. I actually think that Antonio Brown is more targeted and is more of the safety blanket for Tom Brady on a regular basis when he's in the lineup than Chris Godwin is. And I think when we think back to last year and you were very excited about Tom Brady and the slot and throwing the ball a lot to Chris Godwin. I think that's what uh, Antonio Brown is pretty much turned into for this Tampa Bay offense this year. And I, that's not to say that you shouldn't start Chris Godwin, but I think especially in a redraft league, if you drafted Antonio Brown, wherever he was at, you probably have a couple of other good players. You're probably starting ahead of him, but he's at worst going to be locked into your flex consideration for the duration of the year. If he's healthy. No, AB only did miss one game due to COVID, but you know, I guess I just, I don't know. I agree with you. Antonio Brown looks great right now. Um, I just think that Chris Godwin is kind of in a little bit more, but like I said, it could change within the next couple of weeks, but consistency is something you kind of get out of Chris Godwin. You can kind of expect to get 10 to 15 points each and every week besides this last week, but he was still targeted five times. It just didn't turn into the production. So, I mean, he's had at least five targets in every single game, and that's a pretty decent amount for me. But like I said, moving forward, who knows? This week I have to start both of them, but as of late, I know I've been starting Chris Godwin over Antonio Brown. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, after his third big game in a row, is he now a top five back in the league? I mean, as of you said it, like the last three weeks, Jonathan Taylor has been a really, really big part of that Indianapolis Colts offense, right? I could play devil's advocate and I could say, well, a lot of his points came from one really, really big play, right? But then to be a devil's advocate for that, then you would kind of throw Chris Johnson in there and be like, yeah, well, he broke off a ton of huge runs too. And that's kind of how he made a lot of his money as well. So production is for production. So yeah, I think Jonathan Taylor, as of right now, you could slot him in as a top five back. I'm trying to think of who I would necessarily take ahead of him as a dynasty back. I think he's definitely a top five back, but yeah. is this a health conversation or is this an immediately right now? Because I, I think Derrick Henry's guaranteed to be the number one guy. If you're just going right now, I, I don't think he would be number one in a dynasty conversation just because no. of the age and the amount of carries that he's had. But if you're just taking for the rest of the season, I think he's the number one. After that, you'd have to start considering Zeke, Dalvin Cook, Kamara, and Eckler, I think, Eckler. would probably be ahead of yeah. that for me, even on a dynasty conversation. But after about that, I mean, he's somewhere in that five to seven range at worst. And I think you could argue maybe right now with a – rather weak division defensively that he could be because I don't think they've played the Jaguars yet. And I think they've only played Houston and the Titans once. So they still have four more games against weaker defenses. He could very arguably be a top five back for the rest of the season. And we already saw to the end of last year, how well he can finish. 
If the Colts' offense is starting to round into form, I think the sky's the limit for this guy. Jalen Waddell had 10 catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns on 13 targets against the Jaguars in London on Sunday. What are the prospects of him continuing this as a rookie just from a production standpoint? We got to assume that they're trying to make him a big part of the offense. Like he has to be. Who else is on that team? But he still was playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. I got to see it more consistently for me to be like, okay, this is this guy is kind of the real deal. My number one thing is, is the volume is there. He's getting a huge share of the targets right now. And he's clearly their number one wide receiver, save for what you can say about Mike Gusecki. They were kind of shut down on the intermediate to deep passing game for most of the game against Tampa Bay, but that's Tampa Bay's defense. And with Tua back, he clearly was targeting Waddle and Gusecki a lot. I think that the Dolphins offense needed a confidence boost, and even in a loss against Jacksonville that snapped their 20-game losing streak in London, I, I still think that the Dolphins actually played relatively well as a offense moving forward and maybe we should have a little bit more confidence I know I was a little bit bold saying that I thought Jalen Waddle would lead the rookie class in receiving this year I think that's probably out the window even after six weeks just um, as far as Jamar Chase's he's way out ahead of the rest of the field in receiving so far this year and I think he's number four overall in receiving in the entire league let alone among the rookie class so it's tough to say But I think from a production standpoint, he's starting to get into the flex consideration range for me where he could be viable, especially if he continues being targeted in the red zone like he was on Sunday. I know the touchdown value has not been or the touchdown equity, excuse me, has not been there to this point. But I think he's gotten at least 10 targets in three out of the last four games. That's a high level of volume to be dismissive of. All right, then let's move to Joe Mixon. 18 carries, 94 yards on the ground, five catches, 59 yards, a touchdown on six targets. Is he in running back one territory for you right now? I mean, he's teetering. He's toward maybe the back end um, for sure, early wide receiver too. And it has everything to do with um, kind of the production of it all. He is for sure incredibly involved in the offense whether it would be in the rushing game or in the receiving game as well, they really do try to get him the ball. It's just sometimes he's not super productive with the things that he does with the, or with the touches that he does um, have. So it's kind of just production for me. That's why I don't have him for sure slotted in there, but he's teetering. Like he's flirting with it. If he's in, he's towards the back end. If he's not, he's at the front part of uh, running back too. Take all the guys that we mentioned before in the Jonathan Taylor conversation, maybe add in somebody like an Aaron Jones into that. And then the next class of guys uh, to me would be maybe a Joe Mixon. You might be able to drop Aaron Jones into that conversation. Uh, I'm trying to think who else would be in consideration for that. Darrell Henderson might be another name. That's where he is as kind of that class. He's somewhere between about eight and 15 for me, maybe even eight and 12. Uh, as far as backs, he's kind of in that running back one, uh, running back two, depending on how deep your league is situation. But I do like the fact that after he came back from the injury, they clearly wanted to get him involved. They've been much more balanced as an offense this year, and they're looking for him both in the rushing game and giving him enough 
carries, but also looking for him in the passing game. And passing game usage at a running back level is just so key to getting production and points out of those running backs. There are not many that are producing at a high enough level in the passing game right now to be valuable. If he continues that output, I would say he's definitely in the running back one category. Then let's go to Adam Thielen, 11 catches, 126 yards, a touchdown on 13 catches after a couple of disastrous weeks. I only put this one in there to say why. You made me bench you. It basically cost me a game, and now I have to be pissed. You've you've done me dirty, Adam Thielen. Why? I mean, I think you kind of just summed it all up there. Let's just let it be Tom's, Tom's little rant. So any other discussion on the Titans win over Buffalo, maybe the Cardinals, Baltimore games that we talked about a little bit earlier, or for that matter, Aaron Rodgers still owning the Bears or the Raiders responding against Denver? I feel like I'm going to touch on the Raiders a little bit later, but yeah, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers, I guess, owning the Bears for a little bit. 22 um, and five. Take 30 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, if you, I don't know if you saw the picture from kind of the stands, I don't know mm-hmm. how many middle fingers I counted. Like, and I've been there. You kind of do blackout sometimes when you're just so in a zone or just so filled with that much of emotion. I loved it. And I think deep down Chicago, I think they loved it too. Um, it's just, it's a fun little, that's what rivalries are. That's just what they are. And for his entire career, yeah, he, he absolutely has owned the Chicago Bears. 22 and five. He basically won at least two different times, essentially playoff games in the regular season for division titles against them with some big plays in Soldier Field and won an NFC championship game in Soldier Field. He owns your ass. It ain't bragging if it's true. Move on. So anything else that we want to discuss from just kind of general trends of the NFL right now? Yeah, I think we can move onward and upward. I'll make one small thing, and I I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on it, but even through six weeks, it's quite clear already that Tampa Bay, Dallas, uh, Green Bay are probably all going to win their divisions, and the West is starting to shape itself out a little bit already, given that the Rams are pretty good and Arizona's pretty good. So I think you've got about five key teams vying for that top overall spot in a very loaded top heavy NFC to this point, it's just going to be a matter of who are the other couple of teams that are somehow going to sneak in that I, you know, somebody's going to get hot and somehow make the playoffs at the end here and who ends up with that number one overall seed. I think in the AFC, it's a little bit more defined because you'd probably say the uh, Titans uh, chargers chiefs, And I would say Baltimore is clearly in the driver's seat in the North and the bills. You're pretty much already getting a feel for what the division leaders or probable winners are going to be by the end of the season. And I don't know if we've had it this so early on already as to what some of these division races have shaped out to be. All right, let's go to the top tens for the week. These are position by position, the top tens in our league scoring. So number one on the quarterback list, we had, surprisingly enough, Kirk Cousins, a guy I dropped in my redraft league, and it basically cost me the game. Number two, we had Josh Allen. Three, Dak Prescott. Four, Derek Carr. Five, Patrick Mahomes, a mainstay in the top ten almost on a weekly basis. Six, Joe Burrow. Seven, Kyler Murray. Eight, Matt Stafford. Nine, Tua Tagovailoa. 
And number 10, Jalen Hurts, again, doing it with his legs. Running backs, we had number one, of course, King Henry. Number two, Jonathan Taylor. Three, Leonard Fournette. Four, Joe Mixon. Five, Dalvin Cook with a great return this week. Six, Darrell Henderson. Seven, Darrell Williams in for the injured CEH. Eight, Najee Harris. Nine, Damian Harris with a great game against the Dallas Cowboys. And number 10, surprisingly enough, back from the dead, Kenyon Drake. Guy who I said you could drop last week. There's always, every time I say to drop a player, the next week, one of those guys just like ascends and has the miraculous game that says, oh, I'm still here. For the wide receivers, we had number one, C.D. Lamb with a walk-off touchdown against the Patriots in a wild fourth quarter and overtime for that matter. Number two, we had Cooper Cup. Three, Donovan Peoples-Jones, another guy in the top 10 who catches a Hail Mary pass. Four, Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen. Five, Jalen Waddle. Six, Marvin Jones. Seven, again, a guy who I told you to drop, uh, Henry Ruggs. Number eight, Antonio Brown. Nine, Cortland Sutton. I think still the number two guy in air yardage in the league. And number 10, making a return to the top 10, Stefan Diggs. Finally, the tight end position, we had number one, Noah Fant. Two, Mike Gusecki. Three, Mark Andrews. Four, Travis Kelsey. Five, O.J. Howard, coming back from the dead. Number six, Ricky Seals-Jones, in for the injured Logan Thomas. Seven, T.J. Hawkinson. Eight, Zach Ertz. Nine, Jared Cook. And 10, Dalton Schultz, making an appearance yet again in the top 10. So let's go to the good, the bad, and the ugly. My good, Derrick Henry. I mean, good God. I I just don't know how to put it. After the amount of carries that he had last year, the fact that he had 3,500 yards in the last two seasons to lead the NFL and back-to-back for the first time since, I think, what, Jim Brown in or lead the league in rushing twice in a row. And it looks like he's going to lead the league in rushing three times in a row. He is clear in a way, probably going to be a hall of famer at this point. He is my just bona fide good. I don't know what's going to take down this man, but he's basically rescuing the Titans fortunes this season so far. Did you see Micah Hyde make a business decision out there by tackling him? Like he didn't want to make that tackle. But he also didn't want to lose his job either. Like when it was one on one, him and Derrick Henry, just oh man, that um, that's a tough shot. But he signed up for it, and good for him for making that play. Um, but yeah, my good is the oh, I almost called him Oakland, the Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> I I said. I said last week, right, that um, you either come together as a team or you fall apart. This is a this is a good locker room. I mean, they all came together. It looks like, and they played very, very good, very inspired football. So my good is the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm just so used to them mired in mediocrity or being the laughing stock of the NFL. It's hard to ever think of the Raiders as being a good team. They hadn't been for so long, and yet. Yeah, they must have a decent locker room or a good staff and guys who actually enjoy each other because they they are playing well in most games and probably uh, should have won some of the games they lost even. So it, it's surprising to me a little bit, but maybe this will be kind of one of those surprise feel-good stories for the season. My bad for the week, the Cleveland Browns. And I know everybody's dunking on them that they're just disappointing and whatever, and that they're just not playing well, but man, they, they've had some really tough injuries. Their offense just hasn't gotten it together. Baker Mayfield looks lost. And part of that might be due to his injury, but 
yeah, I mean, I got to feel really bad for the Browns franchise that thought they had the, their first real legitimate shot at winning a division since they moved to Baltimore back in the 90s and it had Bill Belichick as their coach. Belichick. Bill Belichick. <laughs> what is your bad, um, sir? My bad is the Buffalo Bills on fourth down. How do you not get that yard? How do you not get that yard? You got extremely destroyed. You have a tank at quarterback. How do you not get that? I don't know. I mean, yeah, everybody's going to criticize the decision. I think overall it was the decision that needed to be made in the modern NFL. Most of oh, the I think you old, go for it. Well, yeah, I think you go for it. I just, how do you not get it? <laughs> I mean, That's if you look at the I'm play, at. the individually, the Titans made a good play on the ball, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a tough one to stomach at the end of the year, especially if it costs you like the number one overall seed or something. I mean, that's a play you look back on and it, it's not on the level of like the fail Mary, but it's not too far away. Uh, all right. Then my ugly for the week. And again, it's just the injuries at running back. Uh, realistically, they, they get more devastating by the week, but the amount of guys that have missed significant time that were drafted inside the top 10 at your running back position, ADP wise to begin the year, Joe Mixon's missed a game. Delvin Cook's missed a couple of games. Christian McCaffrey's been out. You know, it, it's sad to see some of the big names being down already in a league that really wants to run the football and the amount of guys, I mean, Nick Chubb's missed time now. I just don't know what you're going to do moving forward with fantasy football. It's going to be like throwing a dart at a dartboard, trying to figure out which guy's going to stay healthy on a yearly basis. You're ugly of the Uh, week, sir. The LA chargers, whatever that was, it was absolutely terrible. So you kind of throw it out and move forward, but you got to admit that was a terrible display and it just makes you, makes you think a little bit, but uh, we'll see how they respond. I think it could be kind of like a one week in the way that some of the other teams, the bills having that weird loss against the Steelers to open up the season, or uh, for that matter, the Packers getting decimated by the uh, new Orleans saints in the first week of the season. It may just be one game because uh, you would have expected at least their offense to produce something. And for whatever reason, they just could not get anything done on offense in that game. And maybe it's the way that some teams have a tough time traveling and playing on the road across the country at an earlier start time that has to do with it. Maybe that's something for a new coach that you have to kind of uh, figure out as things go along, because you're likely going to have some uh, different playoff games in areas that you're not usually around, but there's something in how they did whatever they did for preparing that they just weren't there. All right. Something or nothing. First one up on my list, Khalil Herbert, 19 carries, 97 yards and a touchdown, two catches on for 15 yards on three targets, something or nothing. I mean, it's something until David Montgomery comes back. You know, it's just, I just don't think he's going to have this type of volume, this job very long. That's all. But he did look, uh, he passed the eye test, I guess, for sure. He looked like a good running back that belonged in the NFL. Green Bay has not been the best against the run. They haven't been as bad as in years past and they've been okay, but it was at least a decent enough matchup that you weren't going to bench him. And he got all of the carries, which was interesting, but with Damian Williams being out on the COVID list and the fact that David Montgomery's out and the fact that Damian Williams, I think tested positive 
for COVID. You would think that you would at least get one more week out of him. They're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not a great uh, matchup for a running back this week, but from what you saw out of him, he could very well be a plug and play starter to replace David Montgomery from what you had, if you had a Damian Williams already or something else, he clearly was in the defined role. If you have to have it for another week or two, I, I thought he actually did fairly decent and that the bears offense moved the ball at least adequately at times with him being the, the primary running back. T.Y. Hilton, four catches on four targets for 80 yards in his return to the Colts. Something or nothing. It's something until he gets hurt again, right? Which he did. We know, right. He got a quad we injury know, at the end of the game. We know who T.Y. Hilton is. He's a very good receiver. It's just he doesn't last very long. Yeah, I think it's potentially something just in how it could take away targets from other people. The Colts weren't down in this game and they got up early. So they were running the football late and really running it well with Jonathan Taylor against the Houston Texans, who they just absolutely crushed. But in games where they're going to have to play a little bit more from behind, then I would expect this to be a little bit more something than nothing. But I still think that Michael Pittman will eventually lead this team in targets. We also, we also saw that Paris Hill, or excuse me, not Paris Hilton, Paris Campbell, uh, is likely to be out for the season. Yeah, that, that's a, a Freudian slip, I guess, on my part. I haven't thought about her in years. Anyway, I, I still would expect Michael Pittman to lead this team in targets, but T.Y. Hilton with as good as he was at the end of last season, if he can come back and be healthy, could add some depth to this uh, passing game that I think has been better in the last couple of weeks and is certainly not something you can dismiss like we did early on in the season when they were having so many offensive line troubles or the fact that Carson Wentz was hurt and really hadn't gotten healthy enough to be productive. I think they're starting to turn a corner a little bit enough for me to say that he could be worth a speculative ad. I certainly would not be considering putting him in my lineup until fully healthy and we've seen it for a week or two, but it could be something. Alex Collins, 20 carries, 101 yards, and a touchdown. Something or nothing. I mean, with Chris Carson being out, this is this is the guy you want. You think he'll split a couple of carries with Richard Penny, but I just think Alex Collins between the two is going to be the back that you want. You did hit the nail on the head there that they are possibly going to end up splitting some carries. They do like Rashad Penny, but he's been on the IR. He is eligible to come off this week. I don't know if he actually will. And I can't remember who Seattle's playing. I'm sure we'll get that in our preview episode on Thursday. But overall, I would say that this is something. He was not contributing a lot in the passing game right now, and he might have gotten hurt at the end of the game. We'll have to kind of monitor that situation as we go through the week. DJ Dallas ended up being the primary back after that as far as the passing game, but he showed enough against arguably what is at least a decent run defense in the Steelers. And the Seahawks were really driving people off the ball enough that you could say, yeah, this is a usable fill-in guy while Chris Carson is on the shelf. I do think it is something. Chase Claypool, two catches, 17 yards on seven targets, something or nothing. Targets are going to be there, especially with with JJ, with Juju being out. Yeah, we're having problems with names today. (laughs) It's just Ben Roethlisberger, you know, you – you got to assume that this is going to be his last year. This is not the high-flying Pittsburgh Steelers that we're kind of accustomed to seeing. I do think the targets are going to be there. I just don't know if they're going to be completions. 
Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. If you've watched any Steelers games this year, there are a lot of throws that Ben Roethlisberger is currently missing that he hasn't missed in years past. And particularly the touch that you need in order to throw something like a deep ball, which is going to be in the range for a Chase Claypool, is just not currently there. I think the targets will be there, as you mentioned, with Juju being out. But Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris are the two guys you want off of this offense. And right now, I wouldn't say I would be considering starting anybody else, even if the target volume is there, just because the production and efficiency have not been there, at least to this point for Chase Claypool. And as long as Deontay Johnson's out there, I don't imagine it changing all that much. Tyler Lockett, two catches, 35 yards on seven targets in his first start with Geno Smith, something or nothing. Again, it's the same thing. The targets are going to be there. It's just, I don't know what they're going to be able to turn that into. So it's kind of one of those things. I don't know how long you give it, but if you have better options, I might go for those right now until you kind of see if they can click and turn the plays into bigger plays. But it's it's going to be tough moving forward with Russ being out, owning guys like that. He has so many deep routes and timing routes that he's gotten excellent at doing with Russell Wilson. It's going to be hard for any other quarterback to step in and have that same level of timing with Tyler Lockett, as opposed to DK Metcalf, who's a bigger target, who you can just kind of put the ball up to and he can go get it. And he was fine as far as the target volume and the efficiency on Sunday night, which is kind of what we talked about last week when we first talked about the injury. I would guess that DK Metcalf is serviceable, but that just about anybody else in this passing offense is going to suffer as a result of Russell Wilson being out for any length of time. So for me right now, Tyler Lockett is going to be on the knife's edge of start versus don't start on a weekly basis, depending on the matchup and whether they're going to have to throw a lot because they may be behind. So it just may more depend on the matchup and he kind of gets stuck in flex consideration instead of locked into your top two wide receiver positions like he has been to start the year. All right, then let's say uh, OJ Howard, six catches, 49 yards, a touchdown on seven total targets against the Eagles on Thursday night. Something or nothing? Something until Gronk gets back. It's it's kind of just one of those things. Like I feel like he's going to go back to being the OJ Howard that we're very, very puzzled by because he was one of those top prospects coming out of Bama and kind of just never figured it out. But Gronk is coming back, so get all the OJ Howard you can while you can because it's not going to last very long. It's an OJ Howard sighting. I think this is more nothing than something just because I don't think we'll have the possibility of seeing something again, but it's at least on the radar that we've seen it once. We could see it again. And like you said, if Gronk is out for any length of time, I think that after what we saw in this one, Cameron Braid is more valuable as a blocking tight end as opposed to a receiving tight end. And they were clearly trying to get uh, OJ Howard involved in the passing game. I think that if Gronk is out for any of these games, he may at least be something to consider because of how bad the tight end position is. It's a little bit of something, but more nothing than something. Mike Gusecki, eight targets, 115 yards on nine targets in his first uh, combined start with Tua Tagovailoa again. Something or nothing. I do think these guys get along very, very well. I do think Tua looks for Gusecki. It's just, 
he's never really living up to the hype that we've tried we've tried to give him. But I guess with him and Tua, I, I guess it is something because they, if you, I don't know if you ever listen to press conferences or anything like that, he, they do like each other a lot. And I do think that translates onto the field. So I guess I'm going to talk myself into that is something. I don't feel good about it though. I think it is something from the standpoint that Gasecki had had a lot of targets coming into this, but had only done it with Jacoby Brissett to this point. In that first week with Tua, he was not a highly targeted part of the offense. Now that we've at least seen it for a week, and yes, it was against Jacksonville, but it was still at least something. And the Dolphins are going to have weeks against the Jets and uh, against New England again and and some of the other teams that are a little bit down the peg uh, that he can contribute against. And he's been doing it against, you know, the Tampa Bays of the world. I like the fact that two came back and it didn't look like he missed a beat at all as being a focal part of this passing game. The same with Jalen Waddle. So if Tua can distribute the ball and get him involved and he's still going to be a high volume target, I think with the status of what the tight end position is, I wouldn't say he's in that elite category for me, you know, the top six that we constantly talk about, but he could be very much in that next tier uh, lock it in number or top 10 starting tight end where you're not going to get much better than him on a week to week basis. And he's at least consistent enough with his volume to be productive. I say this is something for me. Then let's go to Marvin Jones, Jr. Seven catches, hundred yards, a touchdown on 10 targets against the dolphins, something or nothing. Yeah. I don't know. It's the Jaguars. Yeah. I have no faith in that team. I'm going to go with, it's just a Marvin Jones sighting. We get a couple of them every single year. So I'm going to go. It's nothing. Given that DJ Chark is out and that Marvin Jones tends to be a late bloomer when it comes to receiving options and Trevor Lawrence has been getting better with each week, I actually think this is a little bit of something. I think that Marvin Jones will end up being the veteran presence on this team. He's been an underrated fantasy player for years, and I know a lot of people have been frustrated, but you may be able to pick up a serviceable guy on the cheap right now. The Jaguars are currently on by this week you may be able to steal him away from somebody in a a trade for next to nothing. I think this could be a valuable add to your flex position going on for the rest of the year. To me, it's actually something. Then let's go to TJ Hawkinson, eight catches, 74 yards on 11 targets for the Lions, something or nothing. I do think he's one of their top two players on that offense. So it needs to be something. They're not going to be successful if they don't get their, get their better players, the football. And he is one of their better players. I I guess I just don't know why, especially on the receiving end, why you would look for anyone else besides him or DeAndre Swift. So this better be something. I guess, can that be an answer? It better be something. (laughs) (laughs) I guess part of the reason that I included this on the list had to do with how few targets he'd been receiving in the last few weeks. And he was slow played into this game. It really took until kind of a garbage time territory of the game in the second half for him to get a lot of targets and receiving yards. I'm not sure why he's not more of a focal point in this offense, given how productive he can be and how much we expected out of him coming forward. But the Lions offense has just been egregious at times this season, and I'm looking for them to have better days going forward. But right now, I don't know if I can trust too many Lions starters at the moment, other than maybe a DeAndre Swift. Yes, you're probably starting TJ Hawkinson, given where you drafted him, 
probably either the fourth or the fifth round, and you're not going to have greater options at tight end, but he's been drastically disappointing by comparison to his first two weeks in the NFL or of the NFL season. I guess I'm hoping this is something too, because I have him on my redraft league. Sterling Shepard, 10 catches, 76 yards on 14 targets, something or nothing. I feel like we talked about him a couple weeks ago, I think in the same segment. So I hope I said what I did then now, um, that it is something. I think he is their number one wide receiver. We know Kenny Galladay is just kind of never going to be ha- healthy. I do think with the emergence of Tony that it would it is going to eat a little bit into his target share, but I still think he's just the better receiver. So moving forward, yeah, I do think it's something. And when he's healthy, I do think he's their best receiver they have. So I like the volume of targets, but we also saw a high volume of targets to Kadarius Tony out of the slot. And we saw it early in this game. I think Sterling Shepard in the role that he plays for this offense may be a high value or high volume target, but it depends on whether Tony's healthy and whether he's able to play. I think he exited this game after about the first drive. And so that drove up the numbers for Sterling Shepard because this team is clearly targeting guys out of the slot. They don't have a great outside presence with Kenny Galladay on the mend. So they're going to need to throw a lot for this team due to the fact that they're down in games a ton. I do think it's something because he's been a reliable high volume target when he's healthy, but I also think you're going to have to monitor the situation if they ever actually get multiple wide receivers healthy at the same time. Then let's go to Daryl Williams, who we mentioned before, 21 carries, 62 yards, and two touchdowns on the ground, three catches, 27 yards, and four targets. Something or nothing. I mean, just read that that stat line again. You know what I mean? Like, we've never heard anything like that next to CEH's name in a long, long time. So... I think, yeah, this is most definitely something. And I think even when CEH comes back, if you're a CEH owner, I think you're, I think you should be a little worried. Daryl Williams was a guy that they already trusted around the goal line and were comfortable giving carries to even when CEH was healthy. So that doesn't surprise me. The 21 carries, they'd even been giving CEH a little bit more work on the ground in the past few weeks, but his touchdown equity was always going to be doing work against him. His efficiency in this game, 21 carries for 62 yards, I think that averages out to just under three yards a carry. But even so, the fact that they were willing to run the football a lot against a Washington defense that they were going to be able to throw against a ton says something to me that they're going to balance the offense out a little bit more. As long as CEH is laid up, and that's at least two more guaranteed weeks, I think Darrell Williams is at least a running back two and easily going to be able to fit into your lineup in the place that CEH was if you were uh, smart and invested in the insurance for having that given CEH's injury history so far through his first two years in the NFL. I just like the fact that he can score touchdowns and he's not going to be uninvolved in the passing game as well. I do think it may eat into some of CEH's value, but I also would like to see that Kansas City figures out how to use him in the passing game a little bit more before I'm ready to say that CEH is ready to be the running back two you probably drafted him to be. J.D. McKissick, eight eight carries, 45 yards, eight catches, 65 yards on 10 targets, something or nothing. I mean, yeah, for 
as long as Antonio Gibson is going to be sidelined with the injury, yeah, he's going to be involved in the offense, but I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to be eat into Gibson's work when he comes back. Well, we don't know what his status is going to be for this upcoming week, but I think that he is the clear passing down guy. He is the guy that they like in pass protection by comparison to Antonio Gibson. Gibson has been nursing a lot of injuries so far this season, which I don't like. And the fact that he is clearly the passing down back, which can be somewhat valuable, even in a half PPR point league. So I would say this is something just from the standpoint of where the Washington football team is as a team right now. Uh, I think going forward, especially because I don't expect with some of the soft tissue stuff that Gibson's been dealing with so far and the limited production that he's had, that I expect him to be as much of a factor. And frankly, Anytime that J.D. McKissick is having a big game, usually Washington actually is in the game. I think in the two wins that they've had, he's averaged at least 15 touches a game. The more potential touches he has, more likely he's getting it in the air, and I would expect that to continue. So right now for me, I think he is something. It's more something than it is going to be nothing from where the team is at the moment, and I know that will be leading to a segment we have later on in the show. DJ Moore. Five catches, 73 yards on 13 targets. He is dropped off in some of the production, but is clearly the number one wide receiver on the Panthers yet. Something or nothing. I mean, I, I guess I don't really understand the question too much, but I guess I'll go into it this way. We do know he is the number one wide receiver. I don't really think he's going to drop off to a point where you don't start him in your lineups. I guess that's probably where you're going with it. So I, I, I guess I just don't think he'll ever be there because he's the clear cut number one, but there were just a lot of weird drops in that Carolina game between him and with Robbie. Why Anderson. am I blanking? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I could see the hair and everything. I just don't, didn't remember the name, but yeah. yeah and here's another and name that will be coming up later in the program. I agree with you that he's a starting guy, but our estimations of him being a clear number one wide receiver right now have to take a small step back because of how much the uh, Panther offense has regressed in the last three weeks. I think that some of this has to do with the fact that Christian McCaffrey is out and he gravitates so much attention around him that it's hard when now DJ Moore is the number one focal guy of who you're going to stop. So maybe this is a factor. I know you blamed Teddy Bridgewater last year, but maybe it's a factor that Christian McCaffrey being hurt really does a number on DJ Moore's fantasy value. Yeah. And screw Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe it could be a combination. I'm willing to entertain it, but I'm also (laughs) giving other theories. Uh, Rashad Bateman, four catches, 29 yards on six targets in his first game back, something or nothing. Bro, I'm telling you right now, and everybody listening, if you have a window and you had a window, like, so the window may be closing, but buy Rashard Bateman at any chance that you can. I mean, just with the six targets alone, I think, you know, he's going to come back. I've said it a million times, rookie wide receivers, it just takes them a little bit. Sometimes it just clicks right away. Maybe for him, it might take a little bit, but the six targets itself should show you that what Baltimore thinks of this guy just as a wide receiver and as a player, they're going to try to get him the football. So, yeah, um, I think it is something by Rashad Bateman. I guess that's my tip of the week. 
yeah, he's another name that's going to be coming up on the pickups later in the episode, but I agree with you. I wonder how it's going to be potentially eating into either the supreme volume that we've seen out of Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown so far this year, but I would say it's more likely that Hollywood Brown's value gets eaten into. Then again, this was a weird game to get a whole lot of figures from given how much they were up and up early in this game against the Chargers. If this was more of a back and forth shootout, like against Indianapolis, where the targets were a little bit more heavy because they were trying to make a furious comeback, maybe you see a little bit more. But I think that that Baltimore offense is starting to round into form a little bit more as we've seen it kind of go along. So I think I would be investing in this offense right now with how well Lamar Jackson is playing. I also say bye. Keenan Allen, five catches, 50 yards on five targets. He has had limited action, even though he's still leading this team in targets. Uh, Another kind of dud week so far for your fantasy value, something or nothing. Yeah, I think it's weird, you know, with Mike Williams being as hobbled as he apparently was, you think that he would have way more targets. So just with the new offense, I just don't think he's as huge of a focal point. I think it's more progressions, if anything. And um, I think he is the one that's unfortunately suffering from it. Yeah, I don't know why he doesn't have some of the same level of connection that he did even last year with Justin Herbert. It might be a matter of what the offense calls for with Mike Lombardi as compared to the offense that they used to run with. And I can't remember the coach's name. He's now the offensive coordinator for the Lions. But even so, his value as a high volume target and receiver just has declined significantly. And I know they have the bye week this week for everybody to kind of get healthy and reset. I don't know who they play week eight. But if you're investing in him still as a wide receiver one because of the high level of volume, he was never going to be a tie or a high touchdown equity guy. You have to be concerned. I have him in my redraft league and I drafted him, I think, in the third round to be my second wide receiver behind Calvin Ridley. You can see why I've been a little bit upset this year as far as redraft value. But he just has not put forward the level of production that you'd expect out of Keenan Allen when you draft a guy like that or that kind of name so far this season. And it it is very concerning to me, even though I think he still is leading the team in targets so far this season. Uh, New Hopkins, three catches, 55 yards, two touchdowns on four targets, something or nothing. You know, it's kind of crazy. You know, he's not the target monster that he used to be, but he's also not playing and as awful as a team as he used to be on either. You know, there's a lot of mouths to feed. And now with Zach Ertz coming back, you got to wonder if that's going to eat into it a little more. But you, what you do have to admit is that he is their number one option come red zone time. If it's not like on the three yard line, then they just give it to James Conner. But you know, in, in red zone time, when they're looking to throw the ball, he is kind of their first look. So if anything positive, take that out of it. So we've said it before. You're probably starting nuke given where you drafted him, but then you're starting maybe depending on the week, if you feel lucky, AJ green, Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore now throw in Zach Ertz on top of that, who at least has looked decent for the Eagles this year, despite the lack of limited targets and with James Carner scoring enough at the goal line and Chase Edmonds doing enough in the passing game. I mean, how many fantasy relevant players can the Cardinals offense support, especially if they're going to be up big in some of these games, if they get into shootouts, sure. There might be fantasy points galore, but 
I just don't know what the overall equity to players and targets, because it's clear they want to keep a balanced offense and that they're going to spread the ball around because Kyler's just been a good quarterback. So it does concern me. I think Nuke is kind of in the wide receiver two category at this point due to the lack of volume. And yes, he does have touchdowns a lot. I would agree with you that he's their number one target in the red zone, but it's not like uh, they're going to stop running the football near the goal line or that Zach Ertz coming in isn't going to have touchdown value or for that matter that A.J. Green's going to have touchdown value. I just don't know what his elite status is anymore just due to the volume decrease, and it doesn't look like it's going to be declining anytime soon. Honestly, I would say given his age, declining volume, and yes, he's playing with a number one quarterback, but this might be the time to trade him if you can. Uh, Then let's go to Odell Beckham Jr., five catches, 79 yards on eight targets, something or nothing. It's just he plays with Baker, man. That's that's it. You know he's healthy, and we can tell that he's healthy. It's just I don't like, especially now with Baker's injuries, I just don't like it. I think Baker is an incredibly limited quarterback who lacks vision and can't find him in the ways that he needs to be found for explosion down the field as a deep passer. Right now, Baker is limited and he's hurt. I think Odell Beckham Jr. with a better quarterback and a guy that could really unlock him would be a a huge fantasy wide receiver. You can see the explosiveness if you look at the All-22 film, and I've seen it a lot going around Twitter of the amount of times that Baker's just purely missed him in wide open situations. So I think there's explosiveness here, but this is a guy that I think you hold on to for a fantasy value um, if you're in a dynasty league, but you could almost arguably say drop him for the rest of the season because he's going to be a Brown. I don't see him being traded away from the Browns. He's not a distraction at the moment. And I just don't see Baker Mayfield being good enough to make him fantasy productive for the rest of the season right now. And I know the minute I say that, Part of the reason I'm saying it is, is that everybody that makes my disappointment list somehow turns around their fantasy season. So maybe there's a little bit of hope for me, but I I can't work my own progression too much in order to save my own fantasy season right now. We may get to that by the end of the show. Noah Fant finishes the tight end number one for the week. Nine catches, 97 yards, a touchdown on 11 targets, something or nothing. Um, I don't really think it's anything. You're going to get up and down with him. And I just think that's what it is. It was his up week. So I'm going to go nothing. The uh, Denver Broncos are going to get Jerry Judy back at some point. I think it takes away part of the middle of the field from Noah Fant. You like the fact that he's getting targets in production, but this was a lot in garbage time and they were down big in this game and having to play from behind a lot. So they were throwing the ball almost exclusively in the second half. It's the reason Cortland Sutton had a decent game as he did. I think this is nothing only from the standpoint that I don't know if I expect Denver to be constantly having to throw all the time, at least not right now. And certainly not on Thursday night. Then let's go to Damian Harris, 18 carries 101 yards and a touchdown, something or nothing. It's just for these questions. It's just, yeah, it's something now until they have, until they don't have the job anymore. That's just kind of how I feel about them. I think Damian Harris is still a startable back, but we already saw some of the value of a more rounded Ramondre Stevenson. I think that the Patriots are always going to play running back by committee, and this is a guy that's a good runner, but they're not going to trust in passing situations right now. But given how beat up the Patriots are in their backfield at the moment, and the fact that they're at least playing better than they had been, they went toe-to-toe with the Cowboys, they went toe-to-toe with the Buccaneers, you would expect that if they continue to progress under Mac Jones, that 
one of those running backs is going to be viable at some point. Right now it's Damian Harris. I don't know what his long-term value is, but for right now, he's still probably a bankable flex option. At worst on certain weeks, he'll probably be a better running back two consideration given the amount of volume he still gets on the ground. It just may not always be efficient. Amari Cooper, five catches on 55 yards for eight targets uh, against the Patriots, something or nothing. I mean, we kind of seen this and you'll probably touch on a little bit more because you own him. It's just up and down. No one can really figure out Amari Cooper. So until I see consistency, it's nothing. Uh, I think it's something only from the standpoint that you're just never going to get the high volume of targets that, yes, we saw it in week one, but they were almost exclusively throwing the ball. And outside of playing Tampa Bay, they've been a run first football team that wants to dominate you physically and then they'll throw when they have to. But right now they have not been forced to, especially because the defense has gotten better, especially with takeaways and pressures, had to play from behind in a whole lot of games and throw the ball a lot like they did in this game. And even at a game where C.D. Lamb was productive, that Amari Cooper still was not like a huge fantasy asset. So that's only going to get worse as we move forward because at some point, Uh, Michael Gallup is coming back. So now you add another guy into the mix that's somehow going to be looking for targets. I just don't see Amari Cooper as being a huge value right now in that offense, particularly given the amount of times or the amount that they're running the football as opposed to throwing it, as we thought going into the season. A.J. Brown, seven catches, 91 yards on nine targets on Monday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills. Something or nothing? I mean, he's getting healthy, so it is something. You know, when healthy, he's probably one of the better wide receivers in the league. So most definitely something. To me, it's absolutely something. This is a guy that we had high hopes for and had not seen it so far this year. For limited stretches, they had both him and Julio Jones on the field. And Derrick Henry was at least effective enough against the number one scoring defense in the league to this point, at least through Monday Night Football, the Buffalo Bills. I think this is absolutely something. This is a very promising sign from a guy that we expected big things out of. I think this is something most definitely. All right, let's go to pickups, streams, stashes, and drops. The first one, top pickups, under 50% owned on Yahoo, but should be. Dearness Johnson, given that both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are out for this week, he projects as the number one guy in that Cleveland offense against the Denver Broncos on Thursday night. He is an absolute pickup. Two, Hunter Renfro for the Vegas Raiders, Christian Kirk for the Arizona Cardinals, A.J. Green, Tim Patrick, and T.Y. Hilton are all speculative ads, guys that may be able to fit into a flex position given a particular week, and you may have to see it. I mean, all of these guys could be valuable, have decent weeks at different times. Tim Patrick seems to be a guy that is in the end zone at least once a week for Denver right now. Uh, A.J. Green, he may not have it every game, but he's getting enough targets and enough yards to at least be flex viable. The same with Christian Kirk. And Hunter Renfro seems to be able to juke just about everybody in the league with one particular pattern. Uh, He seems to be a favorite safety blanket for Derek Carr right now in a way that even Darren Waller hasn't been to this point this season. Uh, J.D. McKissick, I already mentioned it above, but I expect him to be a valuable part of their passing game moving forward just with how much garbage time and passing time that they're going to need to do in that offense going forward. I expect him to be a highly targeted and highly efficient player right now, kind of the way we saw mid 
season last year, and I expect them to be playing from behind a lot, given how poor that defense is right now. Ricky Seals-Jones, as long as Logan Thomas has been out, he's played almost every down for this offense. He's been productive. He got his second touchdown of the season this last week. I think he could be a valuable fill-in. While you're waiting on that, he's still available in a lot of leagues. Marlon Mack, this one is only a speculative ad from the standpoint that he could be traded to a running back needy team and fit in. And he looks like he's at least uh, come back from the Achilles injury without too much wear and tear. We haven't seen it completely in games, but he at least looks decent enough to this point that he could be a guy that if he ends up in the right situation could be valuable. Jamison Crowder, he was a highly targeted jet for the couple of weeks before they went on their bye this last week, coming back from the London game. I like the fact that he's being targeted, even if it's in the Jets offense, he would be potentially flexible, viable coming back. Rashad Bateman, you already made the case for him before, but I will make it as well here. Again, the Baltimore passing offense has been productive so far. And even if he takes away a certain number of targets away from Hollywood Brown, you want to be able to match a quarterback with one of his most productive wide receivers. This is a guy that could grow into being one of the wide receiver ones in the league, especially because of the inconsistency of Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown for the last two years for the Ravens and their injury history so far. This is a guy that I'd like to see, uh, grow into it, even though he has now played for uh, the Minnesota Golden, Golden Gophers and the Baltimore Ravens, two teams that I'm not particularly enamored with as a fan. Carson Wentz seems to be rounding into form. If you need a streaming option, this might be a guy that you could consider moving forward. I wouldn't say that he'd be a week-in, week-out starter, but this is a guy that can be productive if that Indianapolis passing game continues to be more explosive and get bigger and bigger plays. And finally, Sony Michelle. We've already seen Darrell Henderson miss time this year with injuries. He's clearly a productive guy, and Sony Michelle has been more efficient at times than Darrell Henderson, and I think he would step into the exact same role that Darrell Henderson has to this point. If Darrell Henderson were to go down for any reason, I think he's an automatic fill-in guy, and we've already seen that a lot with running backs around the league so far. I think he should be added in at least uh, 70% of leagues right now, and he is under 50% owned. Top drop candidates for me, Trey Sermon. Play taps for him. Uh, this is a guy that we were very high on coming into the draft, thought he might end up taking over the running back situation for San Francisco. And while they were on a bye last week, I just don't have high hopes for him, given how much Elijah Mitchell ended up playing when he came back. I, I would say that he is more than likely an easy drop because I don't see him featuring into this backfield with them potentially getting healthier over the next few weeks. Jeff Wilson Jr. returning and all of the other things surrounding the 49ers and their season so far. I just think he's easily droppable. Nicole Hardman, the days of trying to project him to be the uh, Tyreek Hill number two on this team, let's just face it, he's never going to be that guy. I'm not sure why he's more than 50% owned in leagues. His productivity is just not there. He may hit one play occasionally for the Chiefs, but with the Chiefs offense struggling as they have been right now, particularly due to some of the issues with their offensive line and the interceptions that Patrick Mahomes is playing because he just doesn't want to move the ball methodically down the field in a cover to shell. I, I don't see Nicole Hardman being a productive, viable fantasy option for you moving forward right now. Baker Mayfield, I had him on the list last week, but apparently you guys weren't listening. He's still over 50% owned in leagues. 
And I just don't see him being productive with the shoulder injury or without the shoulder injury moving forward this year. I just don't see it right now with Baker. And it was a guy I was hoping for a lot more coming into this season. Robbie Anderson, too many drops. I know he had a touchdown last week to kind of save some of his week, but he's just not getting a ton of targets. He had a lot of drops this last week. I just don't think he has the trust of his quarterback due to whatever's going on with him right now. And given where he was at last season and how valuable he was to begin the year, it's been a complete fall from grace, but from a very talented player that just can't seem to put it together consistently right now. Miles Gaskin, welcome to Dumpsville again, because boy, howdy, one game and then he's back in the doghouse. I don't understand why the Dolphins don't get him more involved. He's clearly an explosive player, but they just don't want to use him. Naheem Hines, with the production value in both the passing game and the rushing game for Jonathan Taylor right now, he is no more than a clear uh, scat back that they occasionally bring in for some gadget stuff, and he's just not been productive at all. He's not been a highly targeted guy. He's not going to be, even though they like him in Indianapolis, one of the elite players moving forward or even a guy that would be on uh, flex consideration. I don't even think he should be on anybody's bench. Welcome to Dumpsville. And then finally, a sad goodbye for a guy that I had some high hopes for, a former Packer, a guy that I liked when he was with the Packers, Jamal Williams, welcome to Dumpsville. Uh, unfortunately, the viability of the Lions passing attack and the amount of dump off passes that have been going to both him and DeAndre Swift have declined steadily over the course of the season. Jared Goff just doesn't seem to be looking for his running backs nearly as much as he was earlier in the year. I don't think this offense supports more than maybe one or two fantasy viable players right now, and he is just not one of them, even though he's been the more productive runner in that offense so far. Uh, DeAndre Swift is the guy that's receiving most of the fantasy value and the goal line carries. I think he can be easily dropped. All right. Final thoughts for week six. Nah, I'm just excited to get back to football, my man. Yeah, even in this by Mageddon. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how um, people uh, fill their needs this weekend with um, all the injuries and buys. So we do have a Thursday night game between a banged up Denver Broncos team and a banged up Cleveland Browns team. I'm not sure which one's at home or which one's on the road, but given the status of some of our other Thursday night football games, boy, this is not an enticing matchup. If you ask me, honestly, I haven't really looked too much into it, but yeah, I guess just by names alone, it's not super exciting. I will say some leagues, you're going to start seeing the trade deadline start to near in the next few weeks. I know the NFL trade deadline is about two weeks away. So this might be a good time to really put a stamp on what you think your team is and what your plan is for the rest of the season as it pertains to dynasty. This is the put up or shut up territory of the season. You're already about one third of the way through the course of the year. And somehow I don't know how, but my team is the last seed in the playoffs. And I don't feel like my season has been very productive to this point. So yes, I've said before on this program that find your way into the playoffs and anything can happen, but I just don't feel particularly confident in my team. And if anybody does or can just kind of string together some stuff, maybe they have some underperforming players, maybe that'd be one thing, but this is a time to really sit down and evaluate where your team is at and what you need to do more moving forward in a redraft setting, do anything you can to try and make the playoffs and make the best go of it you can. But in a dynasty setting, you may, because you have other years to compete, this may be one where 
I don't know if, and I think I've said it in other public settings, but making the playoffs as the last seed in the NBA playoffs just rarely works out. You're always going to be that mediocre team, whereas I'd rather you tank. This may be a situation, and I, I rarely advocate for tanking, but just seeing if you don't make the playoffs, you may end up with a better pick. We talked about it ahead of time. Got to have your plan, make a decision, and stay on one side of the fence or the other. You can't have a foot in both camps. I agree with you 110%. Yeah, we talked about it. Like, just say the course. If you're going to do it, do it. If not, not. But you got to have a plan and you got to stick to it. All right. So that takes care of week six. We're going to look ahead to week seven on Thursday. Thank you to all the listeners and Dynasty players out there. We appreciate you. We will be back on Thursday. But until then. Until then, good luck on the waiver wire because this is the week you're going to need it. Abso-fucking-lutely. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020. Find every episode of the show at dynasty-download.captivate.fm. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.